A few years ago, Claudia Kaplan probably would have described herself as a voracious news consumer. Typically, I would read the Washington Post in the morning. On weekends, I got read the New York Times as well. I would read the New York Times online during the week. I watched a fair amount of MSNBC. And then I read other things that I'm not, I wouldn't really call them straight news, but things like The New Republic and uh, The Atlantic and things like that. Claudia felt like she had to keep up with the news. Like, it was a core value to her, part of her routine and maybe even part of her identity. Super important. I really felt like it was something that I needed to be in the loop on and you know, it was always, it had always more or less been a part of my life. But that need to be informed has slowly felt less necessary. Claudia says it started with COVID. Especially the early COVID coverage where there was so much uncertainty and so little science and so many conflicting warnings and so many obituaries. And the constant scandal surrounding a certain ex-president hasn't helped. Claudia says there are times when she hits a kind of Trump overload. You just, you just can't take it anymore. He just, the lies and the behavior and the bluster just becomes too much. And, you know, I, I don't need to watch reruns of The Apprentice. Claudia is just one person who media reporter Paul Farhi talked to recently about why they're avoiding the news. The news is depressing to them, that it's a bummer to consume the news, whether it's radio, TV, newspaper, what have you. When I'm not hosting Post Reports, I cover media too, and Paul and I spent a lot of time talking about the news and how people engage with it. But lately, Paul has been reporting on the opposite, why a growing number of people are avoiding the news altogether. The preponderance of news, the ubiquitousness of news, the saturation of news in our society, I think is actually one of the reasons people are making an effort to avoid it. You are overwhelmed by news every single day that you must, in some ways, make a conscious effort to preserve your sanity. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Elahe Izadi. It's Wednesday, August 9th. And yes, you are listening to a news podcast, but today we are going to talk about news avoidance. Why an increasing number of people feel like they have to avoid the news to stay sane. And whether the news industry needs to change. So, Paul, I'm so excited to be having this conversation with you today because this is a topic I'm somewhat obsessed with. I know a lot of people who take news breaks or, you know, maybe on vacation, they totally tap out. But is this a trend that has been measured? How many people exactly are avoiding the news? One of the main sources that I relied on is an outfit called the Reuters Institute for the Study of Journalism. It's a respected research institute in England, at Oxford specifically, and they do an annual survey, have done since 2017. They asked tens of thousands of people around the world. This year, I think it was 93,000 people. The same set of questions about their news consumption habits. 
And what it shows, what they have found, is that the trend of people avoiding the news continues to go up and the trend of people saying they are interested in the news continues to go down and has been in the six years they've been doing these surveys. And what did this survey show about how people in the United States are avoiding the news? Okay, well, in the United States, which is a saturated media market, 38% of the respondents said they sometimes or often avoid the news. That broke down as 41% of women and 34% of men, which is kind of reflective of the international result as well. And at the same time, the proportion of the people who say they are extremely or very interested in the news continued to shrink in the United States it fell below 50% of people interested for the first time. Wow. About six years ago, it was around 67%. I mean, that's a huge difference. Yes, and uh, the implication for people like us is that it's threatening our business. Mm. Uh, You know, it doesn't – everybody knows how badly newspapers are doing. Well, do they? Maybe let's talk a little bit about that. Well, okay. Since about 2005, when the revenue for the newspaper industry peaked at around $60 billion, newspapers, not surprisingly, have lost more than half of this. Uh, We're down somewhere in the $20 billion, and we're probably below that at this point, you know, because advertising has gone to digital sources, mainly Google and Facebook. Readers have canceled their subscriptions and gone to a 1,000 different websites. The newspaper industry is, you know, at the heart of the meltdown of the media and of the everyday information sources that people Mm -hmm. have relied on. Part of that, I would suppose, is this news avoidance phenomenon. I can't tell you exactly what percentage of it, but some people are opting out of the news altogether. So let's dig in more into why exactly people are avoiding the news because, I mean, it maybe just seems pretty obvious that the news is depressing. And if you feel totally overwhelmed, then, yeah, you do want to tune out for your own mental health and sanity. Is that what you'd found? Yes, that's exactly what people told me. I talked to several older people. Younger people probably have slightly different responses, but the older people I talked with had been news consumers, if you want to call them that, all of their lives. Mm. Uh, You know, read the paper in the morning, turn on cable news, listen to NPR in the car, etc., And they said, you know, I just don't, I I just can't face it. You know, they were retired people. They had time on their hands. So they're the people that any news organization wants to attract because they have time to consume news and they have probably some money to pay for it. But they're the ones in my reporting who were saying, I need to tune it out. And I've shut it down in in many cases. And that's fascinating because those are people who had a habit of consuming the news. So that, to me, tells me that something has changed in what the news is presenting them that's causing them to want to opt out. Were there any specific topics that either in your conversations with people or in this research from the Reuters Institute that they discovered that people were wanting to avoid? There are many different topics, and I'll list a few. One of them is named Trump. A lot of people are tired of news about Trump because he dominates the news, more so than even the current president. School shootings, violence in general, the war in Ukraine, the pandemic. The pandemic was overwhelming to people and in some sense still is. And they felt like this is an avalanche falling on them, that they needed to avoid 
for their own health and safety. And so those are the main topics that, you know, got people to say, I need to to stop. And tell me more about what the Reuters Institute found. Did they dig in deeper with their survey? They did. And so I'll read off a couple of stats that they came up with in their surveys. 32% of people in the U.S. steer clear of stories about the war in Ukraine, which, by the way, is a lesser percentage than people in Europe who are much closer to the conflict. Mm. 43% said they avoid news about national politics. Okay, we understand that one. 41% pass up stories on social justice, which is racial, cultural debates that we have. And 40% ignore celebrity or entertainment news because apparently they're very serious people. (laughs) Not you and I. We love that stuff. (laughs) I do too, yes, yes. You know, it made me think about my own news consumption hmm. habits. I am the classic news junkie, have been all my life from a young age. Uh, I'm in the business of news, and I love it. But it made me think about how we do our jobs. And, and are we, in fact, in some ways, overwhelming people, particularly with bad news? Yeah. Um, uh, that we have always tended toward bad news. And we, as journalists see bad news as the meat and potatoes of what we do all day. That, in, in effect, we avoid good news or don't give it as high a priority as the bad. Yeah, let's talk a little bit more about that. You know, Paul, this conversation, I think it does raise this bigger existential question of what is considered newsworthy. And for a long time, not forever, it should be clear, but for a long time, the convention has been if it's negative, if someone's doing something wrong, you know, these are legitimate problems that need to be brought to light. And one of the roles that journalism plays in society is bringing light to problems so that hopefully there's accountability, they can be fixed, etc. But did you talk with anyone who presented you with a different way of thinking about even like what we consider as a negative story like Climate change, for instance. Yes. And climate change, by the way, is a big uh, one that people want to avoid. Hmm. The extinction of the earth is kind of depressing, you have to admit. Big bummer, yeah. Yeah. You know, you're right that our noble imperative as journalists is to bring light to dark situations and perhaps bring about reform. But that's not what journalists do for the most part every single day. They report on— you know, institutions, they report on things happening in the community. They're not always to expose evil doing. But, you know, in in doing so, we do tend toward the dramatic, the unusual, and things that have conflict. When I was a journalism student way, way back when, the cliche was, journalists don't report on the planes that land, they report on the plane that didn't land. Mm. And that's what the definition, at least then, of news was. It's unusual, it's, you know, Man dramatic. bites dog. Man bites dog. That's exactly another yeah. way of saying it. Yeah. Yeah, and I wonder, though, because maybe there is a different way to think about providing information and news and even telling a fuller story. Uh, And you mentioned this thing about conflict and how that is seen as the cardinal way of approaching journalism. And one of the things that I actually learned when I was in journalism school from a professor is 
what you want to find is complication. And complication isn't necessarily negative. And so complication could be a positive thing. It could, you know, you could win the lottery. That's the complicating thing in your life. Yes. Journalists tend to serve up these kinds of stories, negative stories, if you want to call them that, dramatic stories, if you want to call them that. But the main thing is that they are serving them to an audience that wants drama and conflict Mm. and to some extent negativity. And there is a really deep human basis for this, which is the survival mechanism, which is I want to know as a consumer of news, as someone who pays attention to the world – what the threats are, mm. what possible— Like a biological survivor thing? A biological survivor thing. I'm sure back if we could have studied the cavemen, you know, the news was Mastodon coming to get us. <laughs> Read all about it. <laughs> and and we're not that far different mm. in, in our DNA. We want to know about threats. We want to know about things to worry about. Mm-hmm. So the idea that the storm is coming is a much bigger— story and resonates more with people than kitten saved from being up a tree. You know, it's just not an equivalent thing. That's not to say we shouldn't talk about the kitten being saved, but what people have tended to want and respond to for generations, not today, not yesterday, but generations, is the news that seems threatening to them. After the break, Paul and I discuss whether we're the problem, the news media, and whether we need to change. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Classes in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen. Paul, I think it's easy to think of this news avoidance thing, especially for those of us who are journalists, as a profoundly depressing dynamic. Like, oh no, people aren't paying attention to what's going on. But maybe we're actually the problem, and maybe we or news organizations are selling a product that, you know, there's something wrong with this product. So did you talk with any news organizations who are trying to approach telling the news in a different way? Yes. There's an outfit whose name will define what they do called the Solutions Journalism Network. And this is an organization that's based in New York. They have uh, journalists that go around the country and uh, actually the world essentially teaching people how to approach the news from a perspective in which it does give people some sense of either hope or agency about solving the problems that we write about constantly. And and the example I cite in the story was just one piece in a French network that talked about the efforts to plant various small pockets of trees and flowers and other vegetation around Paris to bring down the heat island effect of mm. of urban environments. And it was a small story, but the point was that there are answers to our problems that are not just writing about the problem. Let's seek solutions. Let's seek positive change. Uh, let's see what's working, and let's present that as much as we present 
the climate's going to kill us and, the, the, you know, we're going to burn ourselves up. So they, you know, divided into various topics, mm-hmm. including environmental solutions, and they attempt to preach this gospel. And so what did they say about their approach? Like, how did they talk about this being a better way of doing journalism? The answer is, is that it gives people hope. As much as people want to know about the threats, they also, deep in their being, is a desire to solve these problems. Mm. And we as humans in a society can get together and not just destroy ourselves, but that we can actually seek a way that is better and that brings about a resolution to the problems, some of which we've created ourselves. Yeah. This is so fascinating, Paul, because if we think about the role of the news is to present a mirror or reflection of reality, if we're only hearing about the god-awful things, we're not actually getting the whole picture, right? Well, you know, you got to understand that the media, by definition, is the middleman, and the media creates a reality. We are selecting the things that we think people should know about. And that's a moment-to-moment thing that can be changed at any time. And perhaps when we see that people are avoiding the things we've decided they should know about, maybe we should change. And maybe Mm. we should go in a different direction and start giving them an alternative. Paul, this is so interesting. You know, we did put a call out to listeners to let us know about why they might be avoiding the news. And, you know, we heard from people who felt some guilt around this. But then, you know, there was Claudia, who we heard from at the top of the episode. And she says that she feels no guilt about avoiding the news. I think I don't feel guilty now if I don't read the news or if I avoid the news or if there are news stories that I glance at the headline and just kind of go, uh-uh, and move on. This sounds so familiar to me. I have a lot of friends and family who will just entirely opt out of a news story and not feel guilty about it. So, Paul, as someone whose job is to constantly be immersed in all the news, how do you feel about that? What do you do to stay grounded and stay sane amid all the chaos? When we are done here today, I'm going to go down to the gym and I'm going to go run on the treadmill. And the great thing about running on the treadmill is it's really boring. (laughs) And the, the nice thing about it being really boring is it drives all thoughts out of your head. You're just bored. Mm -hmm. It's really great. I love to be bored. Thanks, Paul, for your time. Thank you. Paul Farhi is a media reporter for The Post. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's episode was produced by Gabe O'Connor and edited by Maggie Penman. It was mixed by Sam Baer. I want to thank you so much for subscribing to Post Reports, even if you are sick of the news. And if you're an Amazon Prime member, you can access Post Reports ad-free on Amazon Music. And if you do want an escape from the news, check out our new podcast, Field Trip. It's a transporting journey through the national parks. I'm Elahe Izadi. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post.